Hi, this is Larry London, and welcome to Border Crossings. Today, we are joined by a true music superstar. <laughs> Melissa Manchester is our guest. So you you were nominated for a Grammy, and you won a Grammy. So how, would, I mean, was that a life-changing moment for you? I mean, from the time you won that Grammy, was it like, that's it, I've arrived? Yeah, well, you know, there, there are several steps along the way. Um, when I had my first hit, Midnight Blue, that really was the game changer because suddenly I had a hit. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, you know, opened audiences and enlarged venues. But when I got the Grammy, um, I mean, it was thrilling because it's a jury of your peers. And um, the song was written by my two beautiful friends, Tom Snow and Dean Pitchford. And it was an unusual song for me because uh, I was really known as a balladeer. But, you know, it was the disco era and my record company was trying to usher me into that lane. And I had... Huge success, and when I perform it these days with my video, uh, you know the audiences laugh and I laugh, and it's it's really very jolly. Mm. Do you remember where you were, what you were doing the very first time you heard your music on the radio? I did. I I was um, I was doing a, I was doing a radio tour um, in those days. Uh, we did primary stations and secondary markets and college stations just to really. Uh, you know, get the word out, because I had two albums prior, but they were they were sick, you know, strictly albums. And Midnight Blue was on the new Arista label. Arista had absorbed Bell Records, and I was driving through. Um, I was driving through Texas, and it was the first time I heard it on the radio, and it was really thrilling. I had heard myself on the radio a lot singing jingles, um, you know, as part of a group or, or a single voice. But to hear, you know, your own composition coming back at you. And in those days, this was right before radio was centrally programmed. Mm -hmm. And and so the DJs still created the tone of their programming. And so it was it was beautiful. And by the time we drove from Texas to Los Angeles, it had gained momentum and it was really thrilling. Mm -hmm. Where's the Grammy? The I'm looking at the Grammy. Oh, okay, good. I, I, I would have it on the dashboard of my car. That's where no, I would keep No, it's in, it's in my living room where it's supposed to be. Where it's supposed to, along with all your other awards and accolades. <laughs> now, you have a new album called Review. Yeah, this is the 25th album. And um, this is a, um, a revisiting of several of my charted hits. Um, so there are some harmonic tweaks, uh, but the songs are the songs. Uh, but I have some... Magnificent guest stars. Um, I wrote the song Whenever I Call You Friend with Kenny Loggins, and finally Kenny and I are doing this, I think, definitive duet, and our beautiful friend Dave Koz is playing sax solo, and um, we're also doing Midnight Blue on the album, and my guest star for that is the one and only Dolly Parton. And, uh, wow. Yeah, yeah, that's coming out in a, in a few weeks, as is the album, and uh, so it's it's been just great. I started recording all of a lot of this before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I was going to try to put it out earlier, but everything shut down. And then my manager suggested to me, why don't we celebrate your 50th year with this display? And it, it worked out beautifully. Mm, that's amazing. Now, I, yeah. I like to ask this question, especially to people who collaborate with other people and somebody who's legendary like yourself. Uh, I would like to know if you could come up with three people who you'd like to collaborate with on your wish list, dead or alive? 
Okay, uh, I would like to collaborate with John Batiste. I would like to collaborate with George Gershwin. And I would like to collaborate with, oh, this is a wonderful, wonderful question. And I'd like to collaborate with Harold Arlen. Wow, 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 wow. And quite a diverse, yeah. you know, yes. of collaborators. John Batiste, <laughs> yeah. is a, is a, is, he's hot right now, you know, he's a jazz musician doing very, very well. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I think I think he's more than I think he's more than a jazz musician. I think he's kind of a messenger. Yes, and, yes. Uh, I I really think there's something very um, that exudes great light about mm -hmm. him. And so you songwrite in addition to being an actress. You've been on TV shows. You've been on stage. You, you've mm -hmm. been in different roles. And you also write songs, and you've written songs I'm reading here for Barbara Streisand, Roberta Flack, Dusty Springfield, Alison Krauss. Uh, that's that's quite an impressive list. Yes, my songs have been recorded by some um, extraordinary performers, you know, Johnny Mathis and Rosie Clooney. I mean, it goes back way back. And um, yes, it's 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 a tremendous blessing. Mm. What's your favorite part of this business? Is it the songwriting? Is it the touring? I think my favorite part is that it's always different. That is what appeals to me as a version of normal, uh, that every day is different, uh, every gig is different, every idea is different. And now, you know, <laughs> this remarkable adventure of playing Rose Bryce in the first national tour of Funny Girl has shown up. And, um, you know, to celebrate my 50th year playing this iconic role, um, is it, it's so unbelievable because I saw a funny girl in 64 when I was a little girl and I saw Streisand and I was even asked to play Fanny Bryce in the 80s but I just thought Streisand's shadow was still looming over that and so when a funny girl finally came back to Broadway after so long I you know I asked my manager to get me an audition for Rose Bryce because I really knew her and uh, when this national tour came up, first of all, it's the first national tour in 60 years. There's never been a national tour of Funny Girl. And I thought, what a wonderful way to get back to audiences all over the nation, you know, by being this honored guest in this magnificent show. And it's it's beautiful and it's doing so well. Hmm. So somebody who's been successful for as long as you have, five decades, that's quite an accomplishment. So I would ask... <laughs> What was the best advice that you received and who gave it to you? Uh, let me think. You know. Because you're out there hobnobbing with all these superstars. I, I, Barry Manilow yeah, is your friend and whatnot. So. Yes, no, you know, you're right. But I, I think the thing the thing that has shown up for me is is the advice that I have ended up giving to my students from having walked to this artistic walk so long. I don't know that I was given all that great advice because at the time when I started in the early 70s, the landscape of the music industry was entirely different. It was all about getting that contract, even if it was a terrible contract, <laughs> just get in the door. And then when you have some kind of power, you can fix it and call the shots. Well, that sort of works and sort of doesn't. Um, and because when I teach these days, I was an adjunct professor at USC for a while at the Thornton School, and now I give master classes when I perform on um, college campuses. Wow. Uh, oh, uh, 
I find because students are much more educated in things like royalty collection and all that stuff, but what they're not educated in is what it looks like to actually day to day be in a meeting with manager, lawyer, press person, you know, accountant and all that. And because as a young artist, you're so anxious to be liked and accepted and be able to keep doing this. You, you sign any crappy contract, you say yes to things you shouldn't say yes to. <laughs> so the most important thing I have learned for myself that I pass on to my students is slow your brain down. If you don't understand what somebody is talking to you about, like business, ask them again. And if they start getting uh, impatient with you, go to a restroom, lean against a wall and breathe. And then go back in the room and say, explain it with a crayon and draw a picture of what it is because <laughs> it's a pie. And I'm as the artist in the center of the pie and y'all going to be making money and business off of me. So it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's holding on to yourself um, has been the the deepest wisdom that I've earned. Mm, I love that. I love that. That's great advice for any aspiring Business person, business minded yeah, I suppose person. So. You know? Yeah, I suppose and then so. this now the industry has become more of a business than an art, unfortunately. Well, it's it's interesting because yes, and yet it is, I believe, the golden age of the independent artist, which means you because yes. of crowdfunding, you can create the work that you hear and that's in your heart. Um, you know, crowdfunding is also code word for you have to do four times as much work yourself. Mm -hmm. But be that as it may, um, you can create the art that's that's in you. Um, my students taught me how to do crowdfunding, and I crowdfunded my last two albums. You got to love the life and the fellas, and mm -hmm. it was really interesting. <laughs> and now I'm with uh, Green Hill Music, and it's wonderful to have this wonderful company and this the engine behind me again. Mm -hmm. and, and when you talk about let's go to the fellas, that's a concept album which you're doing songs that were made famous by male crooners, male singers. Yes, The Fellas was the completion of an idea. Mm -hmm. uh, I had created um, an album called Tribute in 1989, which was my tribute to so many of the great women singers that influenced me. But I couldn't get any record company to get interested in a follow-up of The Fellas. So it took me a long time, but finally I, I got it done. I crowdfunded it. Um, I had fantastic arrangers. It was a thrill to sing these songs. Um, you know, I did videos. That's part of my show. I have videos that accompany, so it becomes a nice textured evening. And so that was a thrill. So that exists now. Mm. And you made uh, Oscar history in 1980 by becoming the first artist to have two songs nominated for Best Film Song. Yes, it, it's, it was a, a remarkable moment. Uh, I got to sing these two magnificent songs and uh, I wore my first Bob Mackie gown and I was wearing very high heels and the director <laughs> thought it would be a really good idea if I walked down a flight of stairs while singing <laughs> with no banister. Uh -oh. I thought, well, how festive. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, that's going to be a fun experience. So, but it was, it was a real thrill. And of course, uh, for the benefit of the audience, we're referring to Through the Eyes of Love, which was in Ice Castles and I'll Never Say Goodbye from The Promise. Now, what's been the highlight for you in your career, an illustrious career? Oh my gosh, there have been so many highlights. I mean, meeting Ella Fitzgerald and um, 
having the song recorded by Barbara Streisand that she sang at her wedding and then put on one of her albums. Um, I think the biggest highlight is having a long career as an artist, which your listeners may or may not know. The life of an artist, the artist walk is an unsteady, uncertain, sometimes unsane way to navigate life. And to be able to have had such a long career and raised two wonderful children and be able to pay bills by making a living essentially out of my life is it's it's really uh, remarkable. It is always what I hoped for. And uh, I must say it's better than the dream. It's very rigorous. It's it's not for everybody, but <laughs> but it's it's a remarkable way to make a life. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, you know, that you you talk about, uh, you know, that you raise your children. Are your children musically inclined? Do they have? Well, they they they, they sing. They don't do that mm. for a living. My my son is a literary agent, and my daughter is a senior securities analyst. And now mm. I am a grandma. I have my first granddaughter. Oh, congratulations! So, thank you. At thank what you. stage or what age did they recognize something was different about their family from other families? Uh, I think kind of, I think kind of early. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, I was very fortunate when I moved out to California, my parents also moved out to California and my sister and her family moved out to California. So my kids were raised kind of tribally. There were always hands around. And I, every once in a while, uh, I will check in with my kids now that they're grown and I'll say, did you feel I was gone too long ever? They said, no, not really. You seem to be around all the time. And when I couldn't make my daughter's uh, performance, you know, with her theater group in 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 school in junior high school or high school i was always there for a dress rehearsal um i was always able to be involved with my son's little league or or whatever so um i i guess i was around enough <laughs> yes you were that's great to make time for the kids now if it wasn't music what would it have been for you huh uh i think i would have been an inventor an inventor Yes, I believe I would have been an inventor. Um, I was drawn to being an inventor uh, in my teen years when a lot of teenagers were sort of hitchhiking around the country with a guitar strapped to their back. Well, I can't very well strap a piano to my back. <laughs> so I was trying to design a portable acoustic piano. Mm -hmm. And I had drawn pictures of it, ideas about it. And then I saw in a book about antique instruments that there was a portable acoustic piano in about the 18th century. And I said, well, Spooey, wow. that's been taken already. Wow. So, but I, I think I would have, I think I would have been an inventor. Mm, that's amazing. That's a great career. I mean, you know, you, you <laughs> invented guess. music, you've been, that's invented, right. invented that's right. hits I, and invented yourself. I mean, well, you, the thing about songs is you are, you are effectively inventing a world that didn't exist prior to you creating mm, it. So mm, it is. Do you look back at the songs you wrote when you were just getting started and say, what was, what was I thinking? Or what is I, I, I am amazed by some of the songs I wrote when I was very young, because when you're very young and the impulse to write shows up, it is such a gush of another language. Mm -hmm. It's such an outlet that you just simply, for me, I could not stop writing. I, it was just 
all the time I was inspired, you know, I'm very big on eavesdropping in coffee shops, listening to the table next to me and getting <laughs> ideas. And, um, and you know, that I, that I wrote or co-wrote so many of the songs that have endured uh, and the, the content of those lyrics are so um, there's a certain wisdom. There's a certain world weariness um that has endured and of course when you hear back from your fans what your songs have meant to people it's it's just extraordinary it's mm -hmm. just unbelievable and you have written some uh, very iconic songs don't cry out loud uh and you should hear how she talks about you um you co-wrote i'm sure or wrote those songs well, i co-wrote co midnight blue and coming from the rain and whenever i call you friend and uh uh, and the the other songs, Don't Cry Out Loud and Roll, those were, were gifted to me by magnificent friends. And, you know, it, it's it's a it's an extra thrill when you write it. But the fact that you you have enough songs in your vault, so to speak, where where these songs become, uh, you know, they serenade a, a new married couple on their wedding day uh, through the eyes of love certainly became a big wedding song and midnight blue has really helped a lot of people i mean i i remember getting lots of mail from soldiers during the vietnam war and um you know it, it was it, it's just unbelievable it's you, you know because when you're writing you're facing a blank piece of paper you have no idea if it's going to do anything mm -hmm. and when it does something really large and comes back to you with such warmth and gratitude it's it's, it's stunning really and it's amazing because you are one of the few people who have had the privilege of touring the world you've performed as i mentioned earlier in hong kong i know you were there and with me and you've done shows around the world you know probably there's so many stages you've been on uh too many to count too many to remember Mm -hmm. What's the feeling to you when you're in a country that doesn't speak English, but they know the words to your songs? Well, that's crazy. I mean, that that is just the the ultimate. Um, it, it's sort of the definitive uh, demonstration of the universality of music that that, uh, you know, a Japanese audience that does not speak English is singing my songs with me phonetically. It's just uh, it's just amazing. I did a, I did a concert before the pandemic in uh, the Philippines and they are I don't know if you know this, but they are known for their love of romantic ballads. That's their prize. That is their their spiritual currency. It's just so touching. They love those long melodies. And so, you know, to have a, a beautiful, huge venue just full of people singing along with you, it was, I mean, it's, it, and as my shadow gets longer, the, the gratitude I feel gets deeper. I never take any of this for granted. I mean, I know that there are, there are performers who, you know, we'll go up on stage and say, well, I'm really bored about singing this song, but I know you paid for it. So here's the song. And I thought, oh, my God, you're missing the gift. You know, you're just missing the gift. I never get bored of singing these songs. I find them, I find them not only gifts, but I find that they have become living monologues. The older I've gotten, the more life experience I've gotten. 
the the deeper the experience of the song is to convey to the audience. Mm -hmm. What's the what do you think is the secret to your success? The key to your longevity? Fifty years? That's there's not many artists that can say that. No, it's interesting because many of my colleagues are retiring in mm. this, their 50th year. Um, I think for me, the secret is knowing that only in retrospect, I know this, is that as an artist, you live in chapters. You try things, uh, you know, you, the times dictate the musical tastes. And, you know, if you have a record company, they want to put you in that direction and so you you try that and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't but i know that i know that reinvention while you're standing tall is a large part of a, an artist's walk um because you want people to keep coming back and you want to stay interested in what you're creating and um that's you know, and, and I know that the audition is never over. I mean, that's the hard truth, but that's right. That's right. What it Nature is. of the business. Yeah. It is. It is. Mm -hmm. And so um, that I've had uh, great success and great failure and great humor and great inspiration. And um, the, I will tell you this, the hunger that I had when I was 17 and just embarking on this is still there. Hmm. Because my spirit has no idea that I've been doing this 50 years. Spirit hmm. has no sense of time. It just wants right. to play. Right. And so, <laughs> so, so hmm. my, my spirit is, is having a, is having a remarkable moment. And when you talk about the fact that you did this from such an early age, uh, and you have been a part of the business through so many changes. Yes. The technology is different. Yes. The way the business is working these days is different. Yep. Uh, yep. You know, the DJs used to be handed a record and got to play what they wanted, and it doesn't work yep. that way anymore. No. Uh, mm -hmm. And I came up, you know, as I say, in Detroit in the 80s, playing your songs when they were number one on the charts. Yeah. Uh, do you like the changes in the industry, or do you not like the well, changes? Well, the, uh, I like to say that I've done this so long, I can actually see the curvature of the earth. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, in the beginning, as as you well know, it was all about getting the record contract and, uh, you know, getting your foot in the door. Now, and then when disco showed up, when I started, the uh, songs were still melody driven. And uh, whether it was Motown or me or you know, James Taylor or the Beatles or the Beach Boys, it was still melody driven. Mm -hmm. And then when disco showed up, it was it was percussion driven. And that changed the shape of actual songwriting. Mm -hmm. It made phrases much shorter and they were repeating. So it meant that melodies were not really developed, lyrical ideas were not really developed. And that was, you know, it was a function of, of that. Um, in terms of the business, you know, my students, people that are coming up in the business, they don't really know about record companies. There are very few. They are their own record companies. And they really don't know that much necessarily about collaborating because they work with tracks in their garage. And the only person they interact with is the pizza delivery person at four in the afternoon. So... <laughs> You know, so when when I when I would teach um, because I'm a guest uh, artist and have been for a long time at Citrus College here in Glendora, California, it's an incredible community college and it has a smoking music department. And I report I've reported many of my albums there. 
And so, but it's a teaching facility. So students come in, sometimes I have them play on my records. Sometimes I have, I write um, choral parts for their singers. Sometimes student engineers come in and look at, at my sessions and I always bring in live musicians. So they're actually watching the collaborative process. They're watching discussions about, you know, what to play here and what to repeat there and, and, you know, this is a terrible idea. I love that idea. How unexpected. Let's incorporate that. So they're actually seeing that process mm -hmm. and it's a living, breathing thing and it's thrilling for them. Many times they don't even understand what they're looking at. Hmm. Just, and nowadays it's all about the streaming. That's, that's Well, it is. But I'll tell you, you know, when I teach young singer songwriters, this part is pretty much the same that that, you know, if a kid is like. 17, 19, 21, 22. And even if they say they've lived a lot, when it comes to writing and describing something that they think the song is about, my, my job is really to teach them how to think. Because a young mind just has lots of space in it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and so to think about an idea is sometimes a new concept because I remember when you first start writing, just getting words out is so exciting. You know, it's such a visceral thing. <laughs> but I was blessed to have studied songwriting with Paul Simon when I was 17 years old. Wow. I know, I know. And um, and I teach a lot of what he taught me, <laughs> which is which is that it's all of the stories have been told. It's the way you tell your story that <laughs> separates out and that's that's something. melissa manchester's with us the new album is called review now going back to fellas for a second this has been the year of female singers there's been a, a very big wave you know females dominate the charts you know one after another after another uh and so i mean who are you listening to oh uh <laughs> i listen to a lot of classical music and a lot of jazz and but I did really enjoy the Grammys this year, I really did. Um, I think uh, I think it's wonderful that women have such a presence, and the sky didn't fall, right. <laughs> and men didn't collapse in the street. You know, it's just uh, it's just this moment, and it's mm -hmm. it's beautiful. And the fact that in terms of business huge sums of money can be made by men and or women and because of men and or women is it's just the truth mm -hmm. and uh and it's it's it was beautiful, it's a beautiful do you day. do you have a favorite song that uh, of your collection of hits that of you mine? yeah well I, yeah i mean i i have a particular tenderness for midnight blue because it was the first mm. and um and because as I get older and I sing that song, there is a there's a particular suggestion of weariness, and that I wrote this with Carol Sager such a long time ago that we would know of that weariness in our twenties <laughs> is really something because it becomes truer as you get older. And you are a tremendously talented songwriter, singer, performer. Uh, a great pleasure to have you on the show and to, to be able to talk to you. I mean, very, very, you've influenced so many lives in so many different ways, not only with your music, but as a teacher. Uh, <laughs> I mean, so you've touched so many people and what's next? You've got the album review and then are you going out on tour? Is it an international tour? 
Well, uh, yes, review is coming out. And if you go onto my website, melissamanchester.com, you will see all of the videos that I have made per song on review. I started that during COVID. I thought, well, nothing's going to be released. So what shall I do? Well, I'll make videos to go with each song. And if you look at the journey of the videos, you will see what we have all, you know, collectively been through with COVID and the planet shutting down and then coming out of that and paying homage to, to essential workers who were prior to that known as marginalized people. And it's been fascinating for me. So what I'm doing right now is I am in the midst of the Funny Girl Tour, which has been so successful and is going to extend into 2025. Um, and so somewhere in between, I'm going to be outperforming uh, wow. the song from Review. Wow, that's fantastic. Well, like I said before, thank you. It's been a pleasure to see you again. Thank I'm you glad very you're, much. you're you're healed and mended yes, and you're yes. back to work. And uh -huh. uh, once again, people can find you where? Social media sites? Uh, yes, melissamanchester.com. Yes. And on all the platforms, the, the songs are streaming and um, purchasable. And uh, you can see all the videos. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you put on the radio today, you like what you hear or you don't like what you hear? Um, I, I, you know, I like what I hear. I, I think... Uh, Sometimes I really like what I hear. Sometimes it's sort of indistinguishable. Um, I'm rarely surprised by what I hear. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's that that's part of what I listen for, you know, surprise me. Mm -hmm. But um, but it's you know, there's a lot of solid writing out there. If Taylor Swift called you tomorrow and said, Melissa Manchester, give me some advice. In a heartbeat, I would take that call. Of course. In a heartbeat. Uh, and what would you tell her? Well, I think I would tell her, well, first I would praise her for how well she's doing. And depending on what kind of advice she was asking me for, I would tell her that one of the hardest things to realize, although she may be very lucky about this, even the person who loves you the most in the world will never quite understand the walk that you're on. And it takes a, a huge heart to love an artist. And you have to be rather secure in who you are because the artist walk is, um, like I said, it's unsteady. And, um, but, but Taylor has shown herself to be such a decent human being. Yes. Uh, I, I'm sure we would just prefer to go have a cup of coffee someplace. Yeah, that would be wonderful if that opportunity presents itself. Yeah, I'll let be, you know. <laughs> be, before we go, um, I wanted to give you a chance to say something to the audience in 100 countries around the world, the millions of people who are tuned in, which includes the troops as well. So if there's something that you'd like to say, some shout out, this is your opportunity. Okay. Um, the last time I had this kind of an opportunity, I was one of the hosts on Live Aid. Remember, we are the world. Yes, yeah. yes. And I was talking to a billion people then. And the director said, whispered in my ear, stretch, stretch. <laughs> 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 so so uh, to all of you all over the globe, first of all, to, to members of the armed forces, thank you so much for your service. Thank you deeply for your service. For everybody else, be well, uh, have the highest, best wishes for yourself, your family, your neighbors, your community, and your country.
Well, thank you so much. The album is called Review. We have been speaking with the incomparable Melissa <laughs> Manchester. And uh, I thank you for tuning in. And again, thank you for joining us and giving, being so generous with your time. My, My name is Larry London. This is Border Crossings on VOA TV. Thank <laughs> you.